Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and today we're going to be talking about the new moon in the first decan of Aquarius. I am joined here today by my good friend Shu Yap uh, from Australia. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm good, Spencer. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's nice to speak with you once again. Uh, feels like just a few days ago that we talked, but <laughs> like we had a little catch up before we got on the live today. Um, so we're going to go on a journey today. I'll, I'll let Shu introduce herself in a second. Just want to shout out all the friends that we have here real quickly. Um, I really appreciate all of you joining us. We've got Stephen the Jupiterian stopping in from San Francisco. Rachel's here from Roanoke, Virginia. Darren is joining us from the UK. Uh, Trip Wilder the first is here from Maine. Hello, Josh. Peas and Butter is here from West Virginia. I like that username. Bonnie Gillespie is here from Santa Monica. Autumn is joining us from Wayne, Michigan. All right, Michigan, my stomping grounds. And Bonnie, oh yeah, did I already say Bonnie? Bonnie is here, welcome Bonnie. All right, friends, it's been a little while since I've seen you, so thank you for stopping by today. Um, you're in for a treat. Chu is a, an amazing astrologer, a wonderful thinker, um, outside the box thinker, perfect for um, Aquarius season, I think. Shu, for those who are not familiar with your work, Tell us a little bit about yourself, about what you're up to, and um, let's get to know you a little better here. Sure. I'm an astrologer, writer, and teacher of all things astrology, I'm located in central Victoria in Australia. And I consult and um, mentor students and clients, as well as teach um, both independently and I've for Kepler um, College as well. Uh, I've also recently started my own, stepped out into the big unknown and started my own YouTube channel, uh, which is a bit of a passion project of mine. Um, nice. And I've been, yeah, hoping to sort of record some basically conversations that I want to have longer musings with, with people um, on certain astrological topics that are not really, you know, it's not really about astrological weather, so to speak, sure. but just topics of interest. So you can find me over there too. Um, as what's I, it? What's it called? Is it is it live? Is it ready to go? If, yeah, yeah. It's just intercycle astrology, okay. uh, which is my business name, and um, there's only a few videos on there. But I'm about to release one with uh, Lisa Solari, who is a chi five elements Chinese acupuncturist, somatic therapist, a magical practitioner, and astrologer. And we're talking about spirit possession so yeah so it will be uh an eclectic channel that would sort of represent my eclectic nature excellent and, <laughs> so yeah that's what's happening with me at the moment that's exciting and for, for those of you that that weren't familiar with some other parts of shu's story here shu you you live basically off the grid right in in rural ish australia is that correct yes Definitely, yeah. We're we're on a eighty acre property um, where I my other job is really regenerative agriculture. Um, I I grow a lot of produce. I do a lot of tree work, and I basically am um, experimenting with the whole key line contour farming method for those that are. Um, interested in in that kind of stuff <laughs> nice and you're also a pretty amazing painter i will say also uh yes if I, if i have some time left i will try and paint but that's always my 
my dream. I'm hoping Saturn in Pisces might make that become more of a reality to be painting and and uh, painting astrological concepts, which is what I aspire to do in the future a bit more. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So I think you all are in for a treat today. She was one of my favorite people and astrologers, um, just a fountain of wisdom. Being off the grid, you know, she has a really unique perspective about being able to really observe the sky in real time and be able to see all of the stars without some of that light pollution that you might get in other places potentially, which is really quite a quite a boon for someone who is a sky watcher. So always really excited to have you here on the channel, Shu. Well, thank you. I love being on your channel. So thanks for having me. So we can find Shu at intercycle.com. Is that right? right? Okay, yeah. intercycle.com. And you can find her on Instagram at intercycle underscore astrology. Am I remembering right. that correct? Okay. Yeah, right. Thank you. Okay. So, yeah. And go subscribe to her YouTube channel. That's really excited. exciting. I didn't, I didn't know you had started that. That's really cool. Yeah, you know, it's just on the down low a little bit, but I, I yeah, all new to technology. I'm a bit of a Luddite, so it's been a bit of a journey, but hopefully, yeah, moving with the times a little bit more. Well, everybody go and subscribe right now and blow her channel up because, uh, you know, Chu went and took the first step and let's encourage her to get more stuff on there just for, with all these subscribers. Okay. Um, all right. So couple of other business things before we get started. I do have a Capricorn deck in sale that ends on, in about a week. So you can still get 20% off my Capricorn deck ins webinar on my website. Um, a few uh, new things that are in the, in the offering here. I, I completely restructured my, my um, readings for 2023. So there's a whole mess of new things that are available. Some of them are similar to the old ones, but I restructured them in a way that I hope will help us to, you know, make better use of our time, help people understand what we're looking at here. Um, you can see that there's like interesting names. A mythos reader is your uh, reading is your natal reading. You've got a Kairos transit reading, uh, a Hore quarterly transit package, an oracle specific question, and then a Trinity big three reading. You can find that on my website spencermichaud.com. You can book now uh, if you need some assistance. The other thing that I wanted to announce is that uh, a new section of Integrative Divination Guided Group Study Winter 2023 is available now. We are going to be studying Demetra George's Ancient Astrology and Theory and Practice Volume 2. We will be finishing that book. We, we started that last semester. Uh, and we will be doing part nine, which is the last third of the book, which is basically rulers of the nativity. So there's some really interesting material we'll be going over. We have a uh, discord group that we have discussion with. We meet up every two weeks on Mondays, 1 p.m. Eastern time. We just had a really nice group and a lot of nice discussions. So uh, you can find that on my website as well. You don't have to have taken the previous section to to get something of value out of this one. We'll get you caught up to speed. So I hope to see some new faces and some old ones as well. All right. So that's the business that I have pretty much for today. Uh, if you want to make a material donation to the work that we're doing here today, there's a little dollar sign in the chat. It's called a super chat or a super sticker, and that helps us keep the lights on here. And I appreciate all of you. If you are listening after the fact, uh, you can go to buymeacoffee.com to make a donation as well. All right, Shu, 
should we uh should we dive into it let's do it all right we did all our astrologer business uh, which we have to do right you know we're mostly self-employed for the most part i think so we have to you know toot our own horns unfortunately every once in a while but that's okay um you've got great reason to spencer well and right back at your shoe has everybody gone and subscribed to shoes youtube channel yet because if you haven't (laughs) (laughs) let's fill up fill up that subscriber list there all right you let's um let's let's think big picture first you know this is an aquarius new moon what are some of the things that are coming through with transmissions for you just in the in the grand scheme of this this new moon that we'll be experiencing on what is it here the 21st of january in america and the 22nd in Australia, is that correct? That's right. That's right. Um, I think this is a very potent degree, um, well, close to a very potent degree, close enough in my, in my thinking uh, for this new era, the post-pandemic era that we're heading into. So the sign of Aquarius is ruled by Saturn, which shows societal structures. But here the difference between Saturn's rulership in Capricorn to Saturn's rulership in Aquarius is very much about humanity, you know, changes in humanity. What does it actually mean to be human? We're looking forward into the future now to all these new things coming. And uh, yeah, I think this is a very potent um, position of the new moon because it's one degree away from um, the great mutation that occurred in 2020 when Jupiter and Saturn made its conjunction. There was a new Venus-Mars-Saros cycle that happened in February-March 2022 that started a big 1,200-year cycle. So it's, we're working with long legacy cycles. Uh, and it's also going to be that portal of the Pluto ingress that's up, upcoming in March. So it's kind of like we're walking through an initiation gate here as we walk through this new moon. Yeah, it's a pretty sensitive point, isn't it? We've had some pretty big hits, you know, at the zero to one degrees of Aquarius area that the new moon is going to be in. As she was pointing out that we had the great conjunction of 2020, which is how traditional astrologers would kind of speak towards the coming of a new age or some sort of like new way of thinking that uh, is collective and human as you're talking about and you know we don't want to ignore that pluto ingress that's coming uh in the the spring here because you know pluto only changes signs what every 20 ish years what do you know what the pluto cycle is what's the short term yeah pretty erratic i think it's somewhere it can be 14 years to about 20 odd years um i think for this instance it's it's the longer part of the um um, spectrum of its um, position in the sign yeah. Well, and we've already started seeing some of the potential themes coming up. What What are some of the things you've been noticing that are sort of precursors to that transition with Pluto? Well, the big one is, I think, AI and the whole technological or technocratic um, movement into yeah. the future. And um, yeah, I think looking backwards, Pluto's ingress into Aquarius shows big changes of eras, you know, moving from Uh, into the industrial revolution and um, moving out of the middle ages and that bringing huge societal impacts and questioning of, yeah, what does it mean to be human 
at this point in time now and all the calamities and destruction and the disintegration that happen around that yeah we've uh we've uh, started getting little previews here and there of ai technology with you know things like the ai art movement mid journey um as an artist how do you feel about mid journey what's your what's your thoughts on that technology yeah it's i mean if i was a more established artist you know i i would i'd say i'd be probably a little bit fearful but even as a writer you know i think wow like you know our jobs are all being redundant even as astrologers you can put yeah. into ai you know what does it mean to have you know saturn conjunct venus and it will just spit something quite brilliant out at you and so yeah it it makes me think how important it is actually to come back to our physical physicality yeah. you know what's what's real like can ai for example, replicate rituals or ceremony or um, deep meditations, you know. So I think it really shows what's, what being human for you might be in the real world and segregating that to what the collective might think being human is, collective including the AI brains trust that's out there. Yeah, and, you know, that technology is changing very rapidly, right? I think that from all the research I've been doing on that particular issue, we haven't seen even the tip of the iceberg of how quickly that's going to advance exponentially. It's basically, you know, teaching itself how to be conscious uh, very, very rapidly. And it's an interesting point that you make about even writers, artists, and possibly even astrologers uh, becoming quote unquote obsolete because of this technology. Um, I don't, I don't think we'll ever lose that human touch I, I hope i hope not right um mm -hmm. but it is something that might be a collective fear that might start bubbling up i think sometimes pluto represents what the collective is focusing their their fear attention on potentially but i think that with every fear and, and crisis uh, comes opportunity you know and we have like this um been doing a lot of research on crisis innovation like what happens when we as a human species what do we do when we are faced with a crisis like climate change or like you know the threat of ai replacement or something of that nature and mm -hmm. i i think over the course of history what i've noticed is human beings are amazingly adaptable and sometimes when our backs are against the wall we come up with the most brilliant innovations right um totally you, i mean i mean AI is really an example of human creativity. You know, humans invented this and created this. So it really is an amazing achievement to be able to even come up with the idea and manifest it in a huge global form. Yeah. I, I tend to be a little bit of a late adapter with things too. So I've only had cursory experimentations with it via my partner, Tanya, who is started typing in all sorts of questions to the chat right. gpt to like <laughs> test yes. to, to play with it right um and i'm kind of like I, i'm i'm my taurus moon energy is like mm, i don't know about that yet <laughs> like we'll see um yes, but I'm, i think I'm, that will change the world you know just like how google changed the world i think yeah. chat gpt it's the next evolution I'm trying to come into alignment with it, you know, slowly but surely. I'm trying to understand what the ramifications of it might be. My approach to new technologies and science and advances is um, 
I usually am go, take it from like a philosopher's perspective, like asking our, myself or ourselves, just because we can do something, does it mean that we should? Like that's the question that always comes up in my mind and, and trying to see both sides of an issue and of a challenge. And, um, and I, don't have a good, I don't have a good answer yet. I'm sure that there's, there's risks involved with all sorts of advancements, but there will be some beautiful things that come as well. So um, mm. I'm speaking to your, your lovely uh, Libran energy with your Libra, Libra Saturn with the balance potentially, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the question of humanity again. You know, the technology is great, but in the wrong hands, it can be really destructive. Exactly. So it comes back to... I think bringing it back to the, the the human quality of this air sign, like you know, what does it mean to be human in in all aspects, from our ethics to our tools to our environment? Yeah, communal responsibility is a theme that I'm has really been crossing my mind a lot with the new kind of Aquarian. Mm, I don't know the Aquarian instances we've been seeing with the Jupiter Saturn conjunction, Saturn moving through Aquarius, and now the Pluto. Uh, era with Aquarius. Um, I I do feel that that Aquarius is a sign that does require um, objectivity and, you know, maybe doing something that is hard, that is for the the greater good rather than for personal gain. Um, And I think that we're going to be tested with that, uh, you know, especially with, you know, food and climate systems. And I was listening to I have this really, I want to talk about this thing that I, I, I love. I like talking about things that I like that are new. And I have this new app. It's called Blinkist. Have you ever heard of this? No. So Blinkist is like, it takes these, uh, it takes books and it like summarizes them in like 15 to 20 minute like summaries where you can get the gist of like a new, a new thought process. And I've been listening to these Blinkists about climate change. I've been listening to about forming new habits been listening to things about health and longevity and uh, nonviolent communication, all of these things. Just I'm like, I want to discover all these new things. Jupiter just moved into my ninth house. It's time to learn some new stuff. So uh, just, just listen to a really interesting one about, um, it was Bill Gates' book on climate change and how, you know, you know, like 30% of the world's greenhouse gases are coming from the creation of steel and concrete and plastic, but but also that there's some exciting new technologies about like carbon, I believe it was carbon capture technology. Um, do you know anything about that? Is that something that you have interest in? I, I actually used to work for a company that that created carbon capture technology. So I, yeah. uh, you know, I did write, some, do some writing about it at the time, and this was quite a while ago, so that was quite new, but this is already happening in China. I mean, 15 years ago, you know, China was one of our biggest clients. Um, so I, going back to what you said, where there's a problem, we become innovative and, you know, in a, well, I'm speaking from Australia, we seem to sort of lag behind the innovation model because we're so rich in resources. Sure. We have everything here, coal, uranium or wind, sun, you know, we have all kinds of energy sources and we export them. And so we, we don't really have that need, but for countries like China with a growing population, um, they've really had to step in and implement all of these technologies at a very early stage. And so they're ahead of the game. Um, so yeah, it's meant to reduce, carbon capture is meant to reduce um, you know, emissions significantly i think it was at that time 60 percent or something like that but 
yeah, yeah there's there's a it, it to me like listening to that there's there are exciting possibilities out there if we commit to it right i think that's the key committing resources to it and things of that nature you know his his um call to action was getting to zero emissions by 2050 to be able to basically save the hability hability is that a word <laughs> the ability to inhabit the 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 planet basically right i like ability ability <laughs> sure that's a word um so all right so so really some interesting thoughts because and i think that these are really good discussions to begin having with people that in your local areas and in your communities because i do think that um Shu is right that this new moon in particular may be sort of the the initial um, step into some of those conversations that we have to have as a community to be able to band together um, like the mycelium that I've been talking about on this channel a lot, the, the mycelial networks of mushrooms to be able to like have interdependence, right? And be able to cooperate with one another for the benefit of everyone. So mm -hmm. that being yeah. said, Shu, let's... Uh, Let's, we want to take a look at this chart. Sure. Okay, let's, let's dive in here. So, we have the new moon in Aquarius 1, January 21st, 2023, 3.53 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in America. Uh, that will translate to roughly 7.53 in the morning, Australian time, where she is, is that right? Something of, like that. Of the 22nd. I've been trying to memorize our time difference. I think it's 16 hour time difference. So. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially Mercury's still retrograde right now, and I'm just yeah. good with times in general. So <laughs> she and I always have the most interesting conversations with like the cultural differences. Like I never get tired of Shu saying, like, oh, you know, the, the kangaroos got into the compost. <laughs> my my dog like was chasing a pack of kangaroos. I mean it's amazing to me it's it's you know i think that there's it's just incredible to me that we there's so many different ecosystems and cultures in this world that are just completely different of anything we've ever experienced it still just kind of blows my mind a little bit that we're able to even just connect over like the airwaves and and have meaningful conversations and we're living in these just completely different environments um, and this is that essence i think of that yeah that sensitive point in Aquarius where this new moon is, you know, there is such a big difference between there's two realities that are existing at the same time, you know, the real world reality. I mean, people see me as, you know, this astrologer that's online from time to time and, and on the computer screen. I rarely see clients in person these days, Yeah. but really most of my life is really out, you know, farming and building mm -hmm. and, and doing things like that it's there's such a huge difference between the technological aspects of ourselves and you know all the other aspects of the humanness and and i think this difference is what we're trying to well maybe we're feeling exiled from from the two we don't feel like we fit in anywhere because i can imagine people with huge online presences you know they might not even be known in their local community mm. um you know, there's such a, a huge divide and a personality split and i think this new moon kind of has this sentiment i love that word that you used exile that's something that really comes out in for me with aquarius especially in relationship to its host saturn right 
um, you know, I feel like there's two different phases of Saturn. There's the, the, the inside the castle walls or the, maybe even, um, in, in, in a negative connotation, the prisoner phase with uh, Capricorn on some level encasement in some kind of matter or structure. And then here, you know, you have Saturn casting you outside of that material realm, uh, you know, lifting Ganymede that we were talking about up into the heavens and to, to be the cupbearer for, for Zeus, um, you know, casting um, immigrants out of their native countries. Those are, those are themes that come up with Aquarius and especially this first decade of Aquarius where, you know, if we look at the card that we have for Aquarius one, we have the five of swords, which shows a figure that is one smug figure who is collecting all of the swords after a conflict potentially, and then two figures going off into the frontier in exile. One is hanging its head in shame, and the other is just walking off in another scattered direction. Um, so this Deccan is called the Lord of Defeat shoe, <laughs> in like some of the esoteric circles. Um, and you know, that's part of the negative part of it. I think that some of the, and I'm gonna, there, I'll bring the turnaround here. I won't just focus on the negative, but this is a difficult Deccan actually. Like it's, there is a lot of feelings of maybe disappointment, of rejection, of maybe having a conflict and then saying, you know what? I don't even wanna play that game anymore. I wanna go off into and do my own thing that's completely unorthodox and outside of the norm potentially. Uh, and some of that comes from the ability to have a sense of justice, right? Um, there's a spirit with this Deccan called Daiki, which is the, the personification of the goddess of justice. Uh, so, so you have some Aquarian placements, Shu. Have there been some times in your life where you have felt, you know, a disgust or a disappointment in the system? And did that lead you to, to go off on, into your, uh, I guess, intentional exile potentially? Yeah, I think so. I mean, even here, you know, I don't really live in town. Um, I'm always on the on the fringes. I, I always describe that to be. And there's this non-participatory kind of feeling to that Deccan, I think, from my experience anyway, this whole happy to be a black sheep, happy to not be included and yeah. only investing when it suits me because I need to just, you know, focus on my own thing because who else is going to focus on me that kind of feeling of um, isolation but a comfort in in that you know embracing that sense of isolation i think i think that really speaks to the 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 planetary ruler of that decan which is venus you know like kind of finding a beauty or an appreciation in in the frontier in the exile in going off and being outside of the norm. There's just kind of, like you said, comfort in it on some level, right? Yeah, totally. I, um, it's, yeah, like you said, intentional exile. I think I've really always done that. Like even things like um, never really been interested in being in associations. You know, mm -hmm. I, I always see corruption, like not right. corruption as in things going wrong ideologically, when I see groups of people come together, um, ego battles and um, winners and losers, you know, and, and this is all going to be more um, emphasized when Pluto moves into Aquarius, this whole concept of winners and losers, yeah. the booms and busts, like there, there's going to be losses at some 
level and huge gains on some other level. And and I think this card kind of speaks to that, that, you know, even if you're a winner in this battle, you get this sense that you still have lost as much as the loser. Like you're no better off. Yeah. It's kind of a bit of a stalemate, that fixed sort of sign, this stalemate of this rigidity of like, yeah, I don't know whether winning was actually that beneficial, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the the first thought that came into my mind with that was the widening wealth inequality gap that we're seeing uh, that is that really got exponentially wider since the pandemic began. You know, like the billionaires got more billionaire and uh, the people that were suffering had, had a lot more challenges. And I think that as we move forward with, you know, as we see some of the repercussions of like climate change and, and these really challenging weather patterns that we're already experiencing, um, people in poorer countries are going to be suffering, you know, significantly more potentially than the richer countries right away. Although I do think that there's even a potential for like food systems to start collapsing in our affluent countries as well. I don't know if anyone's going to be able to escape the challenges we're going to be experiencing. Um, But yeah, that's interesting, like seeing like, how do we move towards a sense of fairness and equality and is that even possible like in the way that we're wired as human beings what do you what do you think about that what what comes to mind as far as like what we're capable of as a as a species potentially well i i think the sign of aquarius you know being that sign of sort of exile is definitely exile of the sun uh there is this favoring of the underdog feeling, you know, and I'm hopeful that as a species, we might, you know, with all this new portal opening up in this area, open up to the people that have been exiled, that have been left on the outside. I'm I'm thinking of, for example, the Venus-Mars conjunction that happened there in at zero degrees um, in February, March last year, starting that new Saros cycle that lasts for 1,200 years, I saw a lot of um, gender fluidity issues appearing at, you know, throughout the year, really, after that conjunction. uh, conjunction. Um, For example, at the local school that my kids go to, I saw a couple of kids um, started dressing in the opposite gender and kind of making a statement about, you know, this is how I want to be seen now. And, you know, so these people that have been, that have had repressed um, aspects of themselves for, for whatever reason, um, playing to that underdog, like valuing that underdog, like feeling that rebellion of an up, uprising of stating who they are as a person. So that was one example that I saw. And I think we're going to see more of that and that yes whilst there will be winners and losers I feel that whilst Pluto makes its way through the sign over the next 20 odd years there's going to be a seesawing effect of losers um, rising up to be winners again over the time Um, you know we saw that with the pandemic all the lower paid um, low-skilled jobs were the ones that we actually needed. They were the essential workers. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, that brings up a lot of interesting thoughts. I think that I agree. Marginalized voices have started to become much more amplified 
right? And in, in being part of the, the the conversation of how we craft our societies rather than just being like hidden away in, in the, the dark corners, so to speak, right? We, we're seeing the, the amplification of those voices and, and you know, people being represented uh, even in like government systems and things like that. We've had a lot of different diversity uh, elected in the American Congress recently and things like that. I mean, the empowerment of the, the people that were traditionally on the outskirts of society, I think is really interesting. I wanna take this opportunity to bang the drum for this book one more time. Uh, I've been telling everybody in their, in their, uh, their dog about this book here, uh, The Flowering Wand by Sophie Strand. I just think this is a, a really powerful book, uh, especially for Plut the upcoming Pluto and Aquarius age. Um, this is basically about um, rewilding sacred masculinity, which I think is, it's, mm. she, she does some really expo good explorations on the myths that we have and how they need to change to meet the needs of our current cultures and, and needs and the environment that we're uh, working with. And maybe changing the way that we express ourselves with with gender roles and gender fluidity and things of that nature. Um, and moving away from a more competitive aspect and moving more towards a connective one. Um, I, I just love how she talks about the mycelial networks of mushrooms. I'm, you're going to hear that on this channel a lot. I think that I'm, 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 <laughs> I've joked with friends that I should call, I should change the name of this channel, Mycelial Astrology or something like that, because <laughs> I think that there's just really interesting ways to connect uh, that part of nature to an, a natal chart, to an astrological chart. But I do think like the wisdom of things like mushrooms and the cyclical nature of spores and clouds and how they feed one another is going to be something that we'll have to keep talking about um, more in the future to, to survive as a species. So just wanted to ring the bell of that book one more time. So forgive me for that friends, but if I like something, you're going to hear about it a lot. <laughs> like, well, you know me, I'm a mushroom girl through and through. So. Uh, there you go. There you go. Well, there's, there's wisdom in it, right? It's there's, you know, Very there's powerful medicine. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that, but that's just been on my mind a lot uh, and something I'm very interested in. So, Okay, we've got the first decan of Aquarius. We've got the sun and the moon coming together. The sun is in its exile, where generally the sun represents being able to consolidate maybe spiritual energy into an individual point of consciousness on some level. It has difficulty in that sign because Saturn is much more collective based, right? We have the sun in the northern hemisphere being very weak after the winter solstice, where we have a like a pagan holiday that was celebrated, Emolk. Um, we have Chinese New Year uh, also around this new moon. Can you speak a little bit more about Chinese New Year, Shu? Yeah, I can speak about it from in terms of my family's, you know, colloquial customs. I sure. guess um, I'm not a Chinese astrologer or anything like that. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's the most important, I guess, holiday um, of Asian countries. Um, traditionally, it was the time that you would spend with your husband's family. So once you were married off and, and, and you know, a woman was then married into the name of another family, um, they would then spend the Chinese New Year every year to travel to that family um, to celebrate. And they would then, um, if, 
they would also try and get back to the the the, the mother's side of the family um, to to celebrate together with them. But you know, it was always you know once you were part of this new family, that's who you would celebrate with. Um, but what we do is just basically get together at Chinese New Year. We eat. Um, there's some traditional dishes that we we do sometimes, but it's more just for the novelty and the fun. Um, sure. There's this particular dish where there's all these raw like noodles and raw fish and and raw vegetables and pickles and things like that, and we throw it all together into a big dish in the middle, and everyone has their chopsticks and throw the noodles around and to mix in. Um, you know, this is to bring good luck and good fortune and and just like a big mixing pot of noodles that you ceremonially do to just as a group um, and you um, there's a few different um, um, chants and things that you can do at whilst you're throwing these noodles around so um, yeah we did that one a couple of years ago because someone thought to do it but there's also the custom of giving these little what we call angpals, you know these little red packets of money right. and there's a hierarchy yeah hierarchy to how that all works so if you're married you're expected to give angpals to those that are younger than you mm. uh, in the family line um, if you're not married then you can receive Angpals from those that are older than you in the family line. So it's all about um, sharing wealth. So technically, marriage um, shows that you have wealth, I guess, somewhat organized, you know, that you have been married into a family, you have a home, you have a shelter, um, food on the table, uh, and a lineage of, um, you know, a lineage that's passed down of traditions and customs and resources passed down to you. Those that are single don't have that. So that's why they would receive these angpals. And, you know, you can, I remember as a child, like coming back with hundreds of dollars. Sometimes. Wow. It feels very so, Aquarian. It feels very <laughs> communal and sharing, right? And and uplifting others and things of that nature. I, I'm, yeah. Yes, I think Asian cultures are more communal. Like, for example, sure. we we all share food. Like, mm -hmm. to, to us, it's strange that you would have your own plate in front of you with your own meal and you don't share it. All our meals are in the middle of the table. There's usually what we call a, a lazy Susan, you know, that mm -hmm. you can turn around. Um, and, and, you know, you have your own rice, but you, you would take from the middle. Uh, and there's all this etiquette about, you know, how much to take and who eats first. And it's all unsaid. Yeah. It's it's something that you just sort of pick up, you know, uh, tacitly. And, and I wonder, I wonder too, um, does the Chinese New Year always fall in Aquarius season? Is it always an Aquarian new moon or does it shift a little bit? It does shift. Yeah, okay. it doesn't always. Yeah. So um, but actually, I can't remember how that actually works again but sometimes it's in january i know and sometimes it's in um in february so um yeah okay. because it's based on that 13 month lunar cycle right well regardless it's probably always falling in a saturnian sign right so generally like, yes. yeah yeah interesting yeah. well <laughs> you know that's it that's really fascinating i'm, I'm I'm always curious to learn about other cultures and how they celebrate um, their, you know, family 
traditions and things of that nature. Do you do you, uh, do you do practice the like um, clearing out phase before the Chinese New Year, like the oh, cleaning yeah. and like the yeah. Um, well, no, we don't. But the other the, what that just made me think of the whole fire fireworks firecracker thing um, that you, that you would do. This happened more when I was living in Malaysia. Uh, when we had that big family and the patriarch of the family was still alive, we would hire the, the lion dancers to come into the home and do a performance and there'd be lots of noise, firecrackers. It's a, it's about scaring all the ghosts away. Nice. Um, so, but it used to scare me away. I used to be on <laughs> <in> the toilet. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> because oh. it is loud. And that's one thing I love watching now, you know, going into Chinatown and just looking at dragon performers because they are so skilled. You know, like the poor dragon's tail at the back, that person has to bend over the whole time. Right. Uh, and then from certain times they jump up onto the shoulders of the, the you know, the person in front of them to, to make the dragon stand up. So it's real acrobatic um, abilities. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, um, where I live here in Australia, because it was the gold mining area and a lot of Chinese came here, um, there is actually a strong Chinese community uh, in, in the regional city here. So there is things like the Dragon Lion Dance School and you can actually become a, a part of that and train to be a, a lion dancer and things like wow. that. So, yeah. You get, are you going to send your boys out to get trained in <laughs> lion dancing? <laughs> yeah, three of them should be able to make a good dragon. There you go, right? Yeah. Um, I have one more curiosity about Chinese New Year. It's the, the, the paper lantern tradition. Is that something that you're familiar with I, or that was practiced yeah the lanterns i think you, yes there are lanterns but the lanterns was more i think the mooncake festival that we okay. would that we would have and it was about um oh, what was it again i just remember something about hiding messages in cakes um but messages then transition to just being an egg yolk in these little moon cakes that got distributed around and I can't remember the history of that for some reason but the, yeah I just remember as a child walking around with well they weren't paper lanterns they were these sort of cellophane lanterns and we would walk around with these lanterns and um, like I said these are all kind of ninth house things for me sure. like the culture that I was being born into and never really quite nobody really understood you know, consciously talked about why we did things we just did we just did them you know well, so your, your dad was a was a Taoist monk is that correct um he was the assistant to a Taoist priest yes oh, okay so, really wow. yeah but he passed away when I was only four so that okay. was a lot of traditions were lost I think when he passed away because he was more like the lineage holder you know sure. the, the the knowledge holder you know the rest of the family were just sort of into parties really <laughs> i just think it's interesting how your your life trajectory has gone like you know going to australia and like maybe even feeling like you know like the aquarian in exile but like you're like I, but i'm doing okay i'm like i'm making venus out of it i'm making it beautiful i'm yeah. like you know kind of like embracing being on the outskirts of this i mean that's uh i think sometimes aquarius some can get a bad a bad rap sometimes from especially from a traditional astrologers i think that are like oh the exile of the sun 
Um, but there is some real beauty to be found in being outside of the system and being able to like kind of see that objective viewpoint of how society is is structured and things of that nature. You turned me on to a really great Australian um, astrologer named Joy Usher. And I love her books, Tiny Universe and, and Tiny Universe Companion and how she talks about Aquarius as a a, a kind of a glass ceiling type of energy, right? Where where we we sort of try to structure our, our belief systems and our narratives. And sometimes we can get into limiting beliefs rather than limiting structures with a Capricorn. Um, and I think that's worth examining too. Like how do we craft our societies based on the, the laws and arrangements that we have, the, the unspoken agreements like you have at the, at the dinner table, for example, at your family gatherings, that feels very Aquarian to me too, because it's, it's like there's these unspoken rules that we, we you know, adhere to th- from tradition on some level. And sometimes we have, to re- we have to shake those up. That feels like what Pluto is about to do is say, okay, you thought that this was what was possible well, think again, you're going to have to change those narratives, those that glass ceiling belief about what people can come together to do, how we create our food systems, how we create energy in the world and how we manufacture things. It feels like Pluto is about to just take a huge like, like part in the pun, but a big, you know, atomic bomb to to all of those ideas. Uh, I, you know, I hope that there's nothing like that that happens. But you know, Pluto was discovered around the time that the atomic bomb was created or the nuclear bomb was created. So um, always something yeah. that you hear with that, right? Yeah, I've got to be honest, you know, it's not something I'm really excited to um, have in my first house for the next 20 odd years, but <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> it's got to be somewhere, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it's in, it's in my seventh house shoe. So I've, I'm, <laughs> I've got an a- angular Pluto transit coming up too. And it's a little bit... Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of some yikes to that potentially. <laughs> but I think, you know, it, so so here's my question for you. If we if we try to think about how we can manage those, because I know people are going to be listening to this and like, oh, no, Pluto's moving into this house for me. How do we gracefully navigate a Pluto transit for those multiple decades that we're going to be experiencing it? Well, the first thing to remember is that astrology never killed you. You know, right. it's it, we always survive and we always live another day usually. Um, but the, the way I think of navigating Pluto is really embracing the deep level of detail that you can um, get into about things that you might not have had awareness about. Um, and it's a gift, you know, when when shadows can be presented to you because otherwise they continue to control you um, subconsciously. And so when things are laid out in front of you, at least your path is then clear and you know what to, how to tackle it. You know? The gift of clarity, the, right? Yes, it's the diagnosis that's always, you know, like when someone is sick with a mysterious illness, there's always so much anxiety about, oh, what could it be? What do we do? But as soon as there's a diagnosis, it's like, right, it's bad, but, you know, now we have a pathway for a treatment. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. I'm, you know, at the risk of like oversharing, I had a, a recent episode where I was a little bit scared of a health issue that I had. And the diagnosis I got was not very scary. And that was very liberating, right? And it helped me to really identify 
the actual issue that I was experiencing um, and make some changes to be able to, to fix it. I was having some, some hip pain and I think it was be, due to actually an, an injury. You'll find this amusing. Maybe it was, I have an overgrown compost pit in my backyard and I was trying to like dig out the compost pit like a year ago, basically. And I completely threw out my hip and groin doing that. And, and I can trace it back now. I thought it was a, a, a different issue, but um, now I've started to do some like exercises to, to fix that. Uh, it's, I, it's all about maintenance from this from right. age. Oh right? my goodness. We don't bounce back. We just accumulate injuries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've been doing a lot more stretching lately. And I just noticed that as I'm getting into my forties, uh, that I wake up with a lot more stiffness than I had in the past. And it's just, you know, Tanya was mentioning this the other day too, is that we have to work a lot harder to maintain the same level that we just took for granted when we were a little bit younger. And I know that there's, everything is relative. There's, there's going to be people that are younger than us and people that are older than us that are a different stage of life. But I think honoring every stage uh, is really important. And sometimes you know, you, you feel the passage of time. If you're an astrologer in particular, you're like, oh no, I'm going through my Uranus opposition or something, right? Like our little midlife crisis here where we're questioning a lot of things. And um, yeah, I think it's really interesting to be able to, to gracefully make the changes that we need to make. And I think that that's, that's something that Pluto has been teaching me as it moves through my sixth house is like, okay, your body is changing. You're going to have to do some new routines. You're going to have to take care of your health a little bit differently and so on and so forth. Um, okay, so we've, we've talked about Pluto. We've talked about that first decade of Aquarius. We've gotten some really amazing stories. Shu, what I'd like to do now, this is a, one, a part of my new uh, regimen, is I'm going to stretch. I'm going to stand up and take a stretch break real quick. We can keep talking, but I'm going to model... Uh, movement uh, kind of things because we've been talking for like an hour or so and I've, I've realized that I have a lot of stamina for intellectual discourse and you and I could talk for like three hours you know um, and we have before in the past but we have to make sure we're moving our bodies uh, to, to be able to uh, facilitate the good mindful exchanges that we're dealing with here so if you are out there right now this is a good time to stand up take a stretch break. Uh, do me a huge favor if you could like this video, subscribe to the channel, go to Shoes Intercycle Astrology channel on YouTube and subscribe as well. If you'd like to make a material donation to the work that I'm doing here, you can uh, leave a little super sticker or super chat or make a donation at buymeacoffee.com. All right. Yeah, this is my new routine. Like I set a timer for 25 minutes. I, I went a little past it this time but good on you it's I, really yeah it, it, these little things make all the difference yeah every 25 minutes i need to get up move stretch do all the little things like that um, i have yeah. a, a foam roller is my best best investment i've ever made in my life like a little like really hard foam roller to roll out all the kinks in my back and hips yeah. and everything so yeah and hydration drinking a lot hydration. of water super important um and I've been shoot I've been I've been getting up at like 6 a.m like I know that this to you is like <laughs> just when you get up because you live on the farm but uh it's amazing what you can get done before the sun even comes up right 
it's the best time of the day, I think, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Even before I was on the farm, I used to run every morning and my goal was to beat the sun. It was to run my 10Ks and get home before the sun rose, you know. Nice. It's such a good feeling. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's a magical time, the dusk, the liminal spaces, it right? It um, it's beautiful. Yeah, I'm, I want to welcome a few more people that I'm seeing stopping in. Uh, Kate is here. I want to say hi to Kate. And I want to say hi to Laura Burns, the artful acupuncturist tuning in from, I believe, uh, around the area of Toronto, Canada. We also have Creating Harmony here. Khadija, I think, is uh, uh, is your name, if I'm remembering correctly. I always like learning people's names. And Intrinsic Mystic is here from Santa Fe, New Mexico. So uh, sorry if I missed anybody in here, but I always appreciate all of you stopping in and letting me know that you're here. It's always nice to continue to build this community, uh, Aquarian style, from all over uh, all corners of the world. Very, very fun for me. And and hopefully we're, we're providing a good service for all of you as well. All right, Shu, a couple other things to talk about. Um, the host of this new moon is Saturn. And it is in the third decade of Aquarius, which is a little bit different than the first. In, in, in my studies, I've found that the first decade is more about identifying the injustice, going off into the frontier. The second decade is a, a little bit about the, the liminal spaces we were talking about, where there's communication between the, the central power and the people on the fringe. It's a Mercury World Deccan. There's like a safe passage potentially to a new experience. And then the third decan, you've got a, a, a lunar decan that I think to me is about uh, going back, learning what you can learn, almost like distilling the last amount of intellectual essence out of a, that, that particular experience and then letting go. You know, you've got Austin Coppett calling it the, the knot uh, where the dissatisfaction gets, you know, because of the gap between your reality and your ideals becomes too much to handle where you're just like, okay, I'm, I'm completely done with this. I, I'm, I've identified what the injustice is. I've tried to have the conversations back and forth, but now it's just time to completely let go 100%. And we have a really interesting um, phenomenon happening here with the Venus-Saturn conjunction that's happening one day after the new moon, which will be ending um, the malefic enclosure of Venus. And there's, some, there's been some debate in various astrological circles about the validity of Venus and malefic enclosure and whether the outer planets could break it up. For those of you who are unfamiliar, malefic enclosure is when you have the rays of one planet, in this case, when we had Venus uh, trining Mars on one side of the planet, and then uh, the, the, the body or the rays of the other malefic on the other side. And here we have Venus moving from the trine to Mars to the conjunction with Saturn. Um, the debate that we were having uh, earlier, and I've also had with um, my friend Adam Ellenboss at Nightlight Astrology, was does Uranus break this up uh, of a few days earlier, potentially? Um, what a, first of all, Shu, I'd like to get your thoughts on Venus and Saturn and the conjunction of those two planets coming together. Yeah, Venus and Saturn. I mean, we. I I think of our long-term desires, um, curbing of one's um, indulgences, mm -hmm. 
you know, I think it's a very grounded Venus when it can be with Saturn, although Venus might not enjoy it that much. Certainly it helps Saturn to, to be a bit um, less um, harsh. Um, so I think this is definitely something that's going to benefit Saturn more um, than Venus and in turn benefit this new moon feeling. Yeah. That there is a, a softness that's being introduced to this new moon um, that even though there there is the you know like you said the injustice or the dissatisfaction, um, there's an acceptance around it. There's a ability to um, embrace it and to move on to to be non-committal about it. So I love that I, I, harmonious partings is uh, something that I, was coming to my mind with this, like a gentle uh, moving on to the next stage of life. I think that Saturn in that decan has been requiring us to really examine our our belief systems, really figure out and identify the ones that are, you know, holding us, maybe holding us prisoner on some level and holding us back. And I think that, you know, in some regard, this could be a really powerful moment for saying, you know what, that narrative, that idea, that thought doesn't serve me anymore. I'm just going to let that go. And, and feeling the good feelings that could arise with that could, I think, be really beneficial with this new moon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Yep. Um, I do think that there's a potential for this to be the, be the beginning of some other endings in our life. Um, I do think that the, some relationships will end or some ideas that we have about our relationships could potentially be coming to an end. To me, Saturn is that timekeeper that says, all right, this has run its course. Um, and it doesn't mean that everyone's like marriage or relationship is going to end. I don't think that that's, that's not the case. But I do think that one phase or one way that we structure it idealistically could be coming to an end. Um, I know for, yeah. for, have you ex been experiencing that lately? Well, I'm just thinking, you know, Saturn is making its last few degrees in, in a sign, you know, which is a big deal. Yeah. So like this is really showing not just the end of like something short term, it's something quite long term, like something that has started since Saturn moved into Aquarius back in, uh, when was it again, 2021, was it? Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember now. But, you know, we're, we're looking at these long range issues or that that have maybe maybe issues around our hearts or our connection that is now coming to a close or or even coming to a new sense of commitment or recommitment around those values and and those thoughts so you know as saturn is moving through these last few degrees it really is wanting to wrap things up yeah. um wrap you know, for another 29 years, you know, so this is the, the big picture view that we're looking at with this placement, I think, of Venus and Saturn. Well, Shu, I don't know if we discussed this the other day, but I, I, I've been feeling that not only in my household, but a lot of clients and friends have been really committing to longer range planning this this year, this new year has felt different, you know, this like winter solstice, like intention setting where people are actually taking action on the, on the 
intentions and resolutions that they've been making. At least that's how I'm feeling that I'm like changing a lot of the structures of my life right now. Um, as far as my habits are concerned to be able to, to, to be more successful in the future, to achieve more of the things that I want to achieve. And, um, Mm -hmm. are you noticing that with your clients or in your own personal life? Yeah, I do. And and I do think it's got something to do with Jupiter moving into Aries. So we're really wanting to action some of our bigger picture things now. Um, And that Jupiter is making, you know, a sextile to the new moon and a sextile by sign, I guess, to Saturn. You know, so there is, yeah, I can totally see this long range sentiment, this idea of wanting to drive in our principles and, and our our visions, our ideals that we want to see and, and bringing, yeah, bringing action and priority to them, like almost with a matter of urgency, like, no, I've got to do this. Definitely. I, now I've, or never. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've been feeling that internally and seeing it. And I think just looking at the, uh, this new moon and the forward movement of Mars, and we do have Mars direct now, and by the time this new moon rolls around, Mercury will also be direct. So I feel like this is like all systems go on some level, right? With the, you know, the new moon air fueling the fire of Jupiter here and saying, all right, we're going to pour all these ideas, you know, and like just it, it feels very combustible, but in a good way, right? Yes, it does. But I do think there's a little bit of a twist there. And I okay. say that because just before this new moon, we have a situation where Jupiter and Mercury make a refrenation. I oh, think that's okay. the right term. Yeah. So about if you go back four days before, um, Mercury is retrograde, mm-hmm. seemingly heading towards Jupiter. They're wanting to make a square. Yeah. Um, but before the square can perfect, Mercury goes direct and moves the other way. So it shows that, yes, we've got these long-range plans and we're all systems go, but hang on a second, there's just a a little change. I've changed my mind or there's something not quite right, you know, whether it's some kind of agitation of the mind or um, something to do with our our projects, not, you know, maybe there's, you know, a little thing that we missed or something like that. Sure. so, so if you look at maybe the houses, maybe Jupiter, where Jupiter and Mercury are, that may suggest where, you know, the the plan is, the plan exists, and where there may may be a little twist, you know, in the house of Mercury, which is the Capricorn house. Yeah. So, so look look at your Capricorn houses and your Aries houses for where the square could perfect, right? And yeah, go ahead. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and, and it is a square to Jupiter, um, Mercury. Like maybe it's a, you know, so it's it's not like it's a harmonious um, meeting that they were going to have. So maybe this could be like a slight change in course that might avoid a big blow up, you know, that they mm-hmm. still become, um, they're still co-present as a square, like square by whole sign, but you know, there is a change of course that may deflect, you know, a conflict or deflect a huge um, public sort of show around mm. you know, some sure. some internal sense of it. it. It's similar to that vibe of that, that first Deccan and mm-hmm. the Five of Swords where, you know, there is this 
that sense of dissatisfaction coming in or creeping in or that feeling of, um, yeah, something, so, something that you have to just compromise with or, or, you know, because the winners and losers kind of are on equal ground. And if I can add a little decanic uh, flavor to that, Mercury in the first decan of Capricorn is related to the two of pentacles where you see a figure that's juggling two options, right? Maybe potentially uh -huh. two goals, two places. I often have clients that will have first decan Capricorn placements and they're, they're always weighing the advantages and disadvantages of living in a particular place or the, the genus loci, so to speak. So maybe there's something where you want to move forward you know, intensely with Jupiter saying, all right, I'm going to do this very individual goal. I'm going to separate from the collective to, to individuate. Um, there's some new territory, quote unquote, that you want to conquer. Although, you know, we have to figure out language around that that is less uh, co colonial, I guess I would say, right? I, I'm still working on that, like how to think of that Deccan in a way that is less about the the conquering of territory and more about self self-improvement I, I guess that there it is right there right um mm -hmm. and and but but i think that you may be thinking about reevaluating re your resources right i think that's the, the the thing that comes to mind with first second capricorn is saying all right what material resources do we have what money do we have what support do we have uh is it practical right and I think that that could be the conversation we could see too, because generally Jupiter and Mercury are not necessarily friends. They're, you know, basically opposites in the, in the Zodiac. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that we may be wanting to move forward, but we got to pay attention to some details here and some, some reality checks oh, potentially. Totally. Yes. I was going to say that Mercury is the reality checks. Jupiter yeah. is the gung-ho, you know, yeah. wanting to just get on with it, you know, in that Mars decan and a Mars sign. Well, and a couple, there's a couple fixed stars in these, in these stories here of this new moon too. Mercury is going to be on a fixed star called Fosses, which is basically like the, the eye of the, the archer in Sagittarius. So, that, and there's some, there's actually kind of a ruthless quality to that fixed star of like saying, we're going to go towards what we want, come hell or high water, right? Um mm. And then we have a, you know, the, the new moon itself is on the fixed star Altair, uh, which is the, in the constellation Aquila, the eagle. And that one's sort of related to uh, boldness, like military prowess. Aquila was the eagle that held the, that delivered Zeus's thunderbolts. Um, so we may be trying to go where we've never gone before. A lot of Altair placements in history are like experimental pilots that like broke the sound barrier, like Chuck Yeager was somebody who had some Altair placements. So we may be really wanting to like do something very unorthodox, experimental and bold. Um, and we may have this ruthless feeling from Mercury here. But then uh, the, the Venus, Mer the Venus uh, Saturn conjunction is close to a couple fixed stars. One is called uh, Sal del Sud, which is the luckiest of the lucky in the shoulder of Aquarius. So that's kind of about tapping into the universal flow to, to create luck and, and being able to go with the current of, the, of life and of the world, rather than necessarily like the other one in the other uh, shoulder is about creating your own luck. This one's like good things kind of coming to you by being open and receptive. And then there's another fixed star in Capricorn called Denebel Getty, 
which is the ancient lawmaker. It has to do with like, you know, the, the laws that we create through that govern society and things of that nature. So just some, some other like colorations potentially with the fixed star stories that I always find interesting. Any, anything bubbling up from those fixed stars potentially? Um, I think that it all fits well with the symbology in the actual chart, you know, the Altair, you know, to me that that's like that, almost like a Jupiter, Mercury symbol together, Jupiter, Mercury, Mars or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, so, and they're the three planets and, you know, they're the three symbols that are kind of being shown here in this Refrenation um, story, for example. Um, so, yeah, I think it's all very consistently aligned to what's actually happening with the planets. So one other thing um, that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, Shu, is that we do have the moon and Mars out of bounds in this chart as well of this new moon. And the Mars has been out of bounds for quite some time. Um, we've seen, you know, people expressing uh, opinions and things of that nature in, in uncharacteristic ways with Mars out of bounds, potentially maybe expressing anger or, or device, divisiveness. Um, and then with the moon out of bounds, maybe we're feeling a little bit, I don't know, disconnected with our bodies potentially with this. How do you, do, do you use out of bounds planets and do you have thoughts on how, how we might be able to work with that part of it? Yeah, well, I think it really speaks to that nature of exile um, mm -hmm. that with both moon and Mars being out of bounds and this idea of being on the outside, um, acting a little bit wild and out of character might be something that can show up with out of bounds planets. Um, but I think with the with Venus being next to Saturn, it kind of brings like this acceptance or um like an embracing of one's own individuality like one's own individual thoughts and actions around you know around what they want to do you know there's this rebellious kind of nature of you know i'm just going to do this uh, and i don't really care what people think um so mars is bringing the action around that and moon's almost bringing the comfort and security in one's own differentness. Yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing about having the moon in this deck and too, is that th there's literature about just feeling like an alien in your own home space, right? Like feeling like you're just completely maybe don't fit in, in your, in your community or, or the place that you grow, grew up or something of that nature or the place you find yourself in looking for security. It's like kind of a, you know, a citizen of the world rather than of a specific place. Um, and, you know, yeah, and moon being peregrine as well, that adds sure. to that nature. The wanderer, and right? I always, yeah, I always say to my clients that have, especially like a peregrine moon that, you know, embrace the freedom, you know, embrace yeah. the non-committal nature of it because it's, you know, there's pros and cons of everything, you know, that, that, but there is this sense of like always looking for somewhere to belong, yeah. always wanting a tribe or wanting to build a tribe but never quite getting there. I find that, that, that but once you sort of embrace that nature, you realise, wow, I've got, so many communities at my disposal that I can go in and out of. 
Um, Absolutely. So that's also a good thing. Well, and in the last thing that I'm seeing just in this chart is that roughly, oh, I don't think it's the day after, Uranus will station direct as well. So there's a, a shift in our Uranian ability to kind of create changes to our routines, the way we utilize our resources. Um, we just will recently have been coming off a square between Venus and Uranus uh, previously, like about a week before that. So some some big shifts are happening. I think this is a moment that, uh, you know, I think if you've been waiting for some movement to happen, I think this is probably the beginning of that movement. Uh, okay, Shu, I have a couple more questions for you. Have you, you have a few more minutes? You doing okay? No. Okay. Doing okay. <laughs> so let's let's talk myth for a minute. Um, so Aquarius myths are really interesting. We have to me. I was when I did my research for the Deccans webinars. The Aquarian myths. There were a few themes that stood out. Floods, like flood myths, right? Uh, sort of this divine retribution from a, a, a dissatisfied God that was like, all right this is corrupt. I need to kind of clear all of it out. I need to do a big reset on some level. So purification themes, um, that divine discontent that leads to, to big structural changes, I guess you could say. Um, what are some of the myths that have stood out for you with, with Aquarius? Uh, the main ones, probably the Prometheus myth, mm -hmm. the idea of, um, favoring humanity at all levels and bringing gifts from the gods, like trying to bridge that gap between the equality gap between those that are in power and those that have no power. I think that's a very strong message of that Aquarian nature. I definitely see it in Aquarian people. You know, they are, a, you know, one for all and all for one, you know, the things like the union movements or like social groups and things like that are all very Aquarian. Um, so yeah, that Prometheus myth um, is and, the, and he suffered. He suffered for it too, didn't he? Like yes, he did. Yeah, yes. And he was also very clever and tricky. Yeah. Um, in and and stubborn and stubborn shoe. <laughs> like yeah, that's right. So in some way, that Aquarian nature is like almost having to take one for the team. Yeah. Having to. Um, you know, be that scapegoat, happy to be that scapegoat in a way, as long as there's, you know, huge um, benefits for society. Um, I have a, so, a, a quote. Hold on. I'm going to grab this real quick because I like this quote. Mm -hmm. So that Promethean myth is really interesting to me. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with the story, just the, the basic gist of that is that Prometheus stole fire from the gods, hid it in a fennel stalk, gave it to humanity, uh, which was a big no-no. This was like the, I don't know, almost like giving a, a little taste of divinity to, to humanity. And then Zeus, who was pretty upset about this, chained him to a rock and had a, either an eagle or a vulture come every day and eat his liver and then the liver would regenerate. So there was like this kind of, uh, I don't know, eternal torture on some level. One part of the, the story that I think is interesting that we don't always hear about is that um, 
you know, he was given the chance to be released by Zeus, I think, on some level, where he basically, uh, if, as long as he, like, surrendered or something like that, like, to, to Zeus or to, I believe, I don't know if it was Hermes or something like that. Um, I'm looking for this quote here, but it, there was a quote that I read in, um, I don't know if it was in Liz Green. Uh, oh, so this was, this was from a book by an author named Leeming, where it talks about Prometheus's defiance because Hermes came to him. This is, this is the part. Hermes came to him with a bargain from Zeus uh, at saying like, okay, if you'll just acknowledge that like basically that you were wrong or something like that, I'll release you. And he was like, no, screw you. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna surrender to that. And he was like, fine, you can stay here. And he, he, he was finally released by the, the centaur Chiron because Chiron offered to take his place because he was, he wanted to die. He was like, I, I would really like to die now. I, I, I'm immortal. I have this wound. And, um, but I thought that that was a really interesting, like, fixed quality that Prometheus talks about or, or that that seems like it echoes the fixed quality of Aquarius where it's like yeah you you could if you could you could compromise your integrity but you know screw you I'm not gonna do that I'm gonna I'm gonna rebel I know this is right and I don't need your approval like that's basically what Pr Prometheus said fine I'll be here for eternity then because I know I'm right um, and don't you see that so much in Aquarian people? Very that much. real fixed, rigid um, yeah. attitude. Uh, they're very hard to change. They have to change on their own accord. It's very Luciferian. Yeah. You know, this whole no, I'm, I'm not, you know, falling for that. So well, and sometimes people of principle. And so, yeah, sometimes, uh, I was going to say, sometimes we need people that are, you know, fixed in their belief to be able to make changes. Like, if, you know, that's something that is really coming up as I've been observing how humanity needs to adjust to the coming challenges that really we're going to be dealing with is sometimes people are willing to compromise their integrity for comfort. And I think that Aquarius is a sign uh, of a, a fighter that is not willing to sacrifice or is not willing to sacrifice principle for comfort. And I think that mm. that's something that is really needed though, uh, as we move forward into the, the age of ecological crisis, to be honest, is we need people that are saying, no, this needs to change. And you're not going to change my mind about it just by a bribe or something like that, right? Um, I do see client charts with that strong Aquarian nature. They often tend to be the ones that <clears throat> say may do a whole lot of great work externally, like for their community or, you know, in their jobs or whatnot, but often at the cost of their own private lives, like their family, they might, they may not spend much time with their own children or their partners because they, to them, the burdens of society weigh heavily on their shoulders right. and they feel that their role is to, to help that more, even though they may have to um, sacrifice their own personal time. Yes, that Definitely. feels very, very Saturnian and sun in exile, right? Like being able mm -hmm. to say, okay, I'm, not, I'm going to sacrifice my individual needs for the collective, which is not That's easy fine. to do. Like as a Leo rising person, the, the, 
the challenges of Saturn in Aquarius and, and probably Pluto in Aquarius are, you know, you feel it very personally. Um, I don't know. Enough about me, though. This is about the collective, right? Uh, but but if you do have fixed if you do have fixed risings or fixed you know planets, you probably are going to be feeling this challenge. And there's there's different ways that we interact with the world. I mean, there's that that strong drive to individuation as a as a Leo archetype. Um, you know, you have like the the deep emotional meshing of Scorpio and the maybe the the I don't know the inner peace drive of Taurus, like to be able to find a, a, a material space that is peaceful. And I think that we're all going to be challenged with that on some level uh, on how we make adjustments on that fixed on that fixed cross, I guess you could call it. Mm, yes, I think, you know, some self-reflection to make sure that, you know, what's like, look at your dogma level, you know, how dogmatic mm. are you, you know, some good self-reflection for the fixed people would be a good healthy meditation or exercise to commit to so that we don't get fixated too much <laughs> well in good leo fashion i'm going to give myself a tiny pat on the back here hopefully you'll forgive me for this but i've been making some changes to my my diet and my exercise and my habits and I'm feeling really good about it because it's so hard to make those changes because I've been so fixed in like my routines that it's just yeah. like, it's so liberating when you can actually like, I always use the, 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 uh, the story of like trying to move an oil tanker in a different direction. It's like, when you're making this change, right? So I, I, I want to say that if you are out there and you're feeling this impulse from Jupiter in Aries and you're feeling this Aquarian impulse, you know, little changes make a big difference. Start small. You may feel over. I think that that's my, one of my biggest advices with this Aquarian new moon is it, it, it's easy to feel overwhelmed by the, the largeness of the scope that you're experiencing. And I think that those big changes happen by showing up day after day. I mean, that's a Saturnian mantra, right? Okay, let's show up and do it. Let's do it again. All right, we're going to show up without complaint. Just keep showing up for your life. And just getting started is really one of the hardest parts of these types of things. So just maybe just inching towards your goal, uh, celebrate that success because that can really lead to an accumulation of successes over time. Mm. Okay. Yes, the slowness of Saturn will be yeah. strongly evident. <laughs> and as well as the fact that the new moon is, you know, until that crescent moon starts to appear, we're really just incubating and infusing our ideas. Right. You know? So that's, you know, the day after the new moon is when we start to see light. At that first, maybe this is a good time to get into that, I don't know, first quarter square, if, if you like. Um, you know, that's when you, I think, for me, that's when I, in, in the lunation phase, start to really see a public display of the intentions of the new moon come about. I'm not sure. Is that what? what yeah, you let's noticed? let's 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 talk about that first. Before we get to that, I, I you brought up something about incubation, and I think that that's a really good segue to talk a little bit about Emolk, which is a, a a pagan cross holiday that happens around the beginning of February, generally um, into this Aquarian period of time, uh, which Emolk is a midpoint between the solstice and the equinox, and it means in the belly which is related to the pregnant ewes or the, the sheep basically 
Um, and it, they were related to the, the, the stirrings, the, the first underground stirrings before spring, right? And, and I think that that's, that's what we've been, I think, trying to hit on here is that maybe it's not the explosion of the spring equinox, like the like, oh, yes, all systems go. But it's like the first stirrings of like, all right, where are you going? All right. How do you arrange your life in a way that's going to support that? What ideas are supporting you in that journey and which ones are holding you back and limiting you? That's actually a really important part of Aquarius season two. So I, I think it's a it's just really fascinating to see all of the how different cultures have celebrated these various times of year. Um, I always am curious about your perspective about these um, these markers on the other side of the planet where things are flipped in reverse. What is Aquarius season like in Australia? Uh, it's usually very hot. And this is the, you know, we're, we're in Lammas. So it's that height of um, coming into harvest, really. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of focus on crops and, you know, the produce that are, you know, about to really bloom and, and explode. So, yeah, February for us here is often probably one of the hottest months and a time where I feel um, things really settle into a constancy. Mm -hmm. Prior to February, there's a lot of turbulence. You know, the weather can, might not be hot fully. You know, we, we still might get some cold nights and things like that. Um, there's all that disturbances of holiday periods from New Year's and Christmas still sort of lingering. We can't really get into a constant routine until we get to February or the end of January, February, Aquarius season. So that shows that fixed sort of nature um, of Aquarius, like bringing in that, the stability mm -hmm. of life. Mm. Do you see the Aquarian themes play out in Australian culture? Like how, how would that, you know, I'm, I'm appreciating hearing the, the fixity of summer is how do the, the Aquarian communal themes play out in the summer months rather than the winter ones uh, in Australia? Well, to be honest, I think January, early January, the first half of January is very, it's not that communal. It, it more comes back into family. You know, this is when, you know, often at that time of that Cancer New Moon, you may be spending more time with family because you're on, on leave or work holidays or you might be away with family. Um, but when we come into the Aquarius season, I guess it's more communal in terms of um, the weather is warmer, so everyone's out a lot more. We mm. also see school starts as well. So we, oh, okay. we're seeing, yeah, school starts for the year. So we're coming together in big groups. There's often an enthusiasm, you know, when school starts because there's, there might be people that are starting school for the first time or high school or that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so that's how I see that communal aspect, you know, I guess in our time of year. Nice. But generally, yeah, it's so hot that, you know, people are often looking for water, like come going to the beach or going to the pool. Um, that's what we're looking for at this stage. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <sighs> okay. You want to talk about that square? Sure. Let's see what we got here. So we're looking at the, on the outer ring, you're seeing the square aspect of the first quarter moon. And you were saying that that's a time that you look towards for seeing sort of the fruition of some of the seeds that were planted potentially. 
Yeah, I think so. This, you know, the the first sprout, I think, of that lunation cycle. And, you know, I, I'm reflecting back to the, um, like the whole eclipse story, you know, with mm-hmm. that North Node Uranus uh, in relation to that Aquarian nature. And to me, that is like the bringing in the human element, like like labor force issues. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering whether this this lunation is going to bring that up again uh, because we did see uh, last August when we had the, um, well, in Australia anyway, I'm not sure if it was in the States, um, the full moon, no, the new moon in in Leo, so the flipped version of this new moon, um, yeah, labour shortage issues was quite topical at that stage for us. Um, and I'm wondering whether it's whenever the moon kind of hits these nodes that 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 brings it up. But these cross quarter to the the lunation of the fixed Leo Aquarius polarity speaks to the individual's role in the collective um, around their values, you know, their livelihoods and their resources, right? With with Taurus, right? Like how much they're yeah. being paid and how they're being supported. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that, yeah, that first decan of Taurus is really about the planning, the mercurial planning, it's a mercury decan that comes through a fear of scarcity or the negotiations maybe even, like if we were to put it more towards the labor movement, right? Like negotiating a new contract or something like that um, with a union or something of that nature. I could see that. Yeah, yeah and, and the Uranian nature there I think points to the the search for technology I think to possibly make up for the the lack of skills mm-hmm. uh, the shortage you know in labor there like how can we employ technology to to help us so maybe this is a positive application of AI yeah. if there's not enough workers for um, I don't know say not enough writers or things like that they might be able to just turn <laughs> something out of it from AI. Have we ever said, has there ever been a statement made of there's just not enough writers in the world? (laughs) Well, yeah, true. But but maybe for the work that people, they just don't want to do the the mundane copy, like ad copy Mm. or something like that, right? I'm seeing a huge increase in like advertisements that are that are written by bots or AI and things of that nature. And it's hard to tell. It's getting harder to tell. If a if a robot or an AI wrote that article, so and even the even programs like what we use Acuity for our bookings, you mm-hmm. know, I I just think that is the best investment I have for my business. Oh, one hundred percent. Having a personal assistant, yeah, know, for my however much I pay for the year, but it's so worthwhile. Um, and that's what I I think that Uranus, um, you know, can that role Uranus can play in in the labor shortage skills to be able to help bring our systems up to scratch. If you're a new astrologer out there and you're trying to expand your practice, get on the acuity uh, scheduling tip quickly. Uh, Or any kind of business. Yeah, Yeah. and it doesn't have to be acuity, but that one's really functional, I think. Um, But I think that what that did is it saved me so many emails back and forth between clients like because i would have 10 emails back and forth just trying to schedule something and like figure out what what was going on and what was what and 
there just comes a point where that isn't an efficient use of your time. Like the, the app will do it for you. So it, what it does is it frees you to be able to do more research, to be able to prepare your notes, to prepare your lectures and things of that nature. So I do see that as an advantage. Maybe this frees us up as human beings to, to focus on something that is more only something we could do potentially. I, I don't know, but I, I'm, I, I just don't know about it because I, I just think that there is big changes happening with these AIs. I think that we're going to be really surprised at what they can do. And instead of like just being like, oh, this is just a, you know, an automated thing. I really do think that we might see it, this becoming scarily conscious. Do you know what I'm saying? Like having its own type of consciousness. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I've already read an article about someone using mid-journey or something like that where no matter what they typed, mm -hmm. um, this very scary-looking figure oh, yeah. kept appearing. Yeah. So it was like the ghost of AI. Or yeah. I don't know how true that was. Or I saw that, I yeah. Could... <laughs> I thought, That's wow, funny. That's freaky. <laughs> A little bit, isn't it? I would be smashing my computer right up if that happened to me. Well, and I think that, you know, simultaneously later this year, once Pluto moves into Aquarius, we're also seeing Saturn moving into Pisces. So like trying to, you know, figure out what is real and what isn't might be a question that we're going through as early as the beginning of March. Um, but I think if we're just, yeah, go ahead. Start questioning our reality. Yeah, 100%. Um, I do think that at this first quarter moon, the one thing that I do like about this phase is that we have Venus moving into her exaltation in Pisces. So even if you had a difficult parting of ways or parting of ideals or something of that nature, I think that universal love and compassion is, is going to like get you through that period of time where maybe you're not like in one specific uh, relationship or something, but you're more like married to the collective or to the divine or something of that. I could see that could be a feeling that we might have, whatever form that that takes in your own personal life. What do you think yeah, about Venus totally. and Pisces? Beautiful. Like, I, I think yeah. this is quite a nice time for the year, to be honest. Um, yeah. Everything seems to be clicking and moving forward. The moon's exalted. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, Mars is direct. Mercury is direct by that stage. I think it's quite a, I think it's quite a nice chart absolutely um okay do you want to just give us a little preview of what you think that this lunation might be moving towards with the the fruiting oops sorry that's not what it the hold on a second the full moon and what's going to be blossoming potentially i don't know how i got to this point so one moment <laughs> <laughs> Mercury still retrograde. Yeah, it is. As it's, we record, so. there we go. So this is February fifth, and we have the full moon at sixteen degrees of Leo, opposite the Aquarian Sun at sixteen degrees. You know, Venus is in Pisces, as we were talking about there. You know, Mercury is heading towards a conjunction with Pluto. What do you think is coming to fruition at the the fruiting phase of this lunation cycle? Yeah, well, I think that Saturn next to the sun staring down at the moon is going to be quite confronting. Um, if we, say, frame it in terms of that labour issue perspective, I guess it could be just 
maybe a bit of a standoff, like standing up for your individual rights and valuing your own, um, I guess, conscious um, needs uh, is going to be potentially something that might come up that, you know, in that lunation. Um, yeah, just wanting to step away from the rigidity, stepping outside of that container or the structures to be able to say, hang on a second, my needs matter. Um, and so, yeah, the, I, I think this whole fixed angle. Um, Pretty tight square to uh, Uranus in this lunation too, right? Yeah, there's a frustration there, I think, a, a yeah. frustration and a, um, a ability or an yeah, an emotional ability to, you know, almost make a stand, I think. Mm. Yeah, what do you think? Oh, I mean, the middle decans of the fixed signs are the most fixed points mm -hmm. in those seasons. So I, I agree that there's a, a probably a, a, a rigidity or a stubbornness that we're going to have to work through, you know, questions of authenticity, uh, personal authenticity versus collective need to surrender to something bigger than ourselves. I think that we'll be questioning our routines around this period of time. Um, I do, the, the, the good news about those middle decans is in the tarot, they're related to a sephira called Tiferet, which is actually a very harmonious um, kind of spiritual center in that Kabbalistic tree of life. So in that regard, those are some of the the more more harmonious energies um but i do think that th this will be <laughs> this is why i think about this i think that we have the six of wands with the moon which is uh the parade right getting getting um a, a figure that's coming back from war and being celebrated for his achievements the second decan of aquarius is like the figures that are being carried across the the river to uh, into exile into the the frontier into the fringes you know and I, so i think that there will be some themes of coming versus going uh whether we're getting credit for the work that we do i think is going to be important i think that we're going to feel the potential to, to like take a front that we're not being properly honored for our our personal contribution to a bigger project might also be something that could be coming into the fore i would say i would i would warn people against getting too attached to pride. I think that there's ways to have individual points of consciousness within a, a larger project, but I think we'll have to figure out the balance between those two things potentially. Um, mm. Yeah, the staring down of Saturn in its yeah. opposition is kind of like saying, right, I, I know this is what I want for myself and I'm going to make a stand and I can actually see my responsibilities and obligations. Am yeah. I prepared? Am I prepared for this? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. A mm. um, couple more people to welcome just real quick. I, we had Dee joining us from the UK. I don't know if I shouted out my good friend Dee. Uh, and Angel Lopez is here from Mexico. Uh, greetings, friend. Um, so, all right. Just one other thing about February here before we move on to the, the ending phase. Uh, around that full moon, a few days after, I just did want to announce that I'm going to be joining uh, the Nightlight Astrology Winter Speaker Series, doing a talk on the stars and cards. So if you're interested in the tarot, 
and how it connects with astrology, I'll be doing a free lecture uh, that you can sign up for at nightlightastrology.com. Um, that'll be February 12th at 12 noon Eastern time, which is a Sunday here in America. So sign up for that. Hope to see you all there. We'll, we'll be expanding on the decans, but also using tarot as like uh, a form of oracular divination to support the astrology that we do. It's not just going to be decans. It's going to be, I've been doing a lot of things with, with Adam where he'll do like, for example, he'll do a sports horary. And then I'll pull some tarot cards to like give some extra insight into the the horary potentially. So there will be some some merging and integrating of divinatory systems. All right. Yeah, it's great. I must say that since I've met you, I've I really start I really do value looking at the tarot now. Um, so it's something that you've taught me, and I'm really appreciative of that. So looking forward to your lecture. Yeah. Thank you. I've got some good new tarot books I'm excited about. I'll just show you one. This is called Tarot for Change. This is by Jessica Dore, I think, or Dore, D-O-R-E, Using the Cards for Self-Care, Acceptance, and Growth. I'm very excited to dive into this book because oftentimes tarot can be kind of scary. And um, I think there's a, a really good way to find the silver lining in each one of these cards. So I'm looking forward to diving into that and the research I'm going to do for this, this talk amongst other books. I've got tons of books. I don't want to go too far into it here, but uh, okay, Shu, let's talk uh, integrative divination here. We had, this has been amazing. This has been a really fun talk, Shu. Thank you so much for your time today. I know that, you know, I hope I'm not taking too, too much of your time for, you know, doing tending to the trees and to your painting and things like that. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, always love chatting with you. So we have, do you want to start with the animal that we got or the I Ching oh. reading? What do you think? Uh, up to you. Not fast. Let's start with the I Ching and then we'll bring it, bring it home with the animal. Mm -hmm. The I Ching that I got, uh, and I always cast a random I Ching. I ask, what is the essence of this lunation? Um, and I got number 40, which translates to release, deliverance, relief, separation, and removal. Loosening the knot, untying the end of an obstruction, forgiveness, letting go of the past. It feels, feels very, very this card, very five of swords mm -hmm. here. Doesn't it? Mm. Um, so this is like a, a, a period of tension. Oops. Where we might be. Sorry, my microphone fell for a second. This is uh, the release of a period of tension potentially, where we've been feeling maybe stuck with the Mars retrograde, Mercury retrograde. Maybe we're going to see some forward movement. Maybe we had a situation that we were getting really frustrated with, uh, that we were feeling like we were just over it, and we have like the Venus-Saturn con conjunction coming together to finally let us release that from the past. So num line number five says, if a superior person can deliver himself, it brings good fortune. He inspires trust even in petty people. I really like this line. Um, this, the notes I have written for this, it says it's time to evaluate bad habits and behaviors. It's time to free yourself from relationships and situations that drag you down. Uh, this period of time requires inner resolution and per perseverance. You alone can save yourself. I like this part of it too, like kind of the personal responsibility aspect of like moving on from a difficult situation, which will require you to treat yourself with self-respect and develop some kind of self healthy self-image and positive attitude. Um, 
this talks about believing in a narrative of redemption. I like that. Uh, what do you think? What do you think about this changing line and what we might be experiencing with the deliverance hexagram? Um, yeah, I guess it's the idea of that if you want to get out of the entanglement, it really um, requires you to be the bigger person, you know, like to untie this knot, you know, the work needs to be done. And it's, it's not about your own ego, it's for what's best. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you can step out of that ego consciousness and, and to do what's right and, and to take the higher principles, I think there is that opportunity and to, yeah, to, to release essentially to, to let go of this tension that you don't need to hold on to anymore. Yeah. Saturn requires maturity, if nothing else, right? Totally. Maturity yeah. and, and surrender. Action, action that's required. You know, it's yeah. not something where you can just sit back and, um, you know, watch and wait what, what happens. It's, you know, you have to be active in, in pursuing this change. And that change requires you to perhaps change yourself for the greater good conscious uncoupling from either limiting That's beliefs right. right or or from actual situations potentially yeah. um okay so this is changing to the hexagram 47 which translates to oppression exhaustion being restricted hardship and adversity and inner affliction feeling dried up and at an impasse what in the astrology might be speaking to that do you think shu like maybe feeling like we're just tired would anything you can think of in the chart that would speak to that potentially i think saturn being on the last leg of its journey speaks yeah. to that you know there's this feeling yeah that feeling trapped um that there possibly could be some hard calls to be made some sacrifices um um yeah just general hardship i guess and yeah. i think it also speaks to that five of um swords card where you know, even though you've won, there's this sense of loss associated with it, that yeah. there is, um, yeah. And, and like you can think of, if you think of a war, like there's no winners in a war in a way, but you've got to just untangle yourself and, and untie that knot. That's true. That's true. Um, okay. So I'm just real quick. I'm seeing some really nice comments here. Thank you, friends. Um, I would love to have you join me at that Nightlight Speaker Series. I think that there's a lot of comments that talk about astrologers supporting other astrologers, which is something that I really value on this channel too, is amplifying other astrologers' voices, especially Shu here today, friends. Please go subscribe to Shu's YouTube channel, her brand new YouTube channel that she just launched. Uh, let's, let's, let's validate Shu's experience here because my goodness, what a fountain of wisdom that we have here today. So feel so fortunate that you're not only my friend, but somebody that, that I'm learning from as well. So really oh, excited that you're here, you, friend. <laughs> so, so we have one last symbol before we wrap for the day, friends. Uh, we, we, I usually pick an animal for each of these lunations because I, I like to connect with nature in that fashion and find a symbolic way that maybe we might be able to move through these challenges. And I, I, I picked the mule uh, for this particular lunation. So some of the notes I have for the mule, uh, the mule can represent uh, independence, intelligence, wisdom. It, a mule is a sterile offspring of a male donkey and a female horse. Uh, so we, we 
derive the intelligence, so to speak, from the donkey and, and the, uh, the athleticism from the horse, potentially. Uh, this, a mule is regarding a slow and logical approach that they prefer potentially to work alone. This also could speak to the stubbornness of the fixed signs potentially. Um, and they have very long ears. So it, it's important to, to listen when we're trying to figure out and unravel those knots too. We don't always want to be, you know, just spouting off all our opinions. We did plenty of that while Mars was retrograde in, in Gemini, I think. And now it's time to maybe hear some some feedback, maybe some tough feedback on some level. The other thing I find interesting about a mule is that they are very good at, they have, they have a very well-developed um, fight or flight reflex. And it's more about a freeze or fight reflex where they can like get very like rigid, they freeze in the face of danger, or they can make a very quick exit. So I feel like that might be a situation where we may feel a little frozen and we're like, maybe we get shocked by something with the Venus Uranus square. And we have to be like, oh no, what do we do? Like, are we going to leave this situation of, of challenge or are we going to, um, you know, just stay in, in, in this untenable situation potentially? Um, and then the other literature that I've said is that mule can also represent treating others the way that you want to be treated, which I think, you know, is a pretty good golden rule so to speak i think that's always that was always what my dad would tell me we didn't have a a a specific spiritual tradition that we were raised in in my household but that was his kind of like philosophy he has a lot of aquarius placements by the way he's a pisces but he has a aquarius stellium and he's like just treat others the way the way you want to be treated and that's that's a good way to move through life so i was like okay that sounds good dad um yeah so you you have a you've had some experience with with mules potentially right well, I have a good friend that has a mule, so I only know what he tells me is that they're Zen creatures. So that okay. kind of shows the like the stillness involved with a with a mule, uh, and the whole connotations with the fixity and the rigidity and everything that we've spoken about today. Um, he tells of a, a story of you know he well he, he he prefers mules over horses because he thinks horses are very erratic they can bolt and mm-hmm. you know run off with thunder and things like that so they're a bit harder to manage whereas yeah. mules have a like just a very zen grounded approach and you know one story he he tells me is that he lets his mule into his yard um and he to keep the grass down but he he he's such a good gardener he knows where to eat the grass down he you know, trims the edges, he leaves it all perfectly straight, you know, because that's what mules do. There's that intelligence. There you go. Uh, like you said, around I, them. So I love yeah, they're that. probably much better than horses, I think. And they live for a long time. They, they are a Saturnian creature. They can the live longevity. for over 40 years or something wow. like that. Yeah. Wow. That's the per- it's this perfect animal. I mean, it, it, it never, yeah. never ceases to amaze me that just like, the oracular space that you can create just, you know, when you tune into these different frequencies. This is why I love tuning into the frequency of nature and animals and these various other methods. Because I think when you see these things through so many different lenses, you can find different ways of expressing uh, a unified truth. Um, So it makes my Venus in Gemini very happy to see like all the the systems coming together so i love that story with the mule and like you know the the zen reflections of that so very cool 
All right, Shu, I think that we made it through our new moon musings. This has been wonderful, friend. Thank you again for joining me today. This is great. Yeah, thanks everyone for joining us. And I'm always amazed at your community here. They're so active and um, just always, you know, up for, you know, tuning in and listening to the insights and sharing their thoughts in the chat. I think it's amazing. So well done. Yeah, I am so grateful for all of you that come and join us at these live streams and for all of the wonderful thoughts that you put in the chat. I try to get as, to as many of them as I can. Um, do me a favor, friends. Hit the like button. Subscribe to the channel. Make sure that you follow Shu on Instagram at Inner Cycle Astrology and on YouTube. I'm going to keep ringing the bell for Shu here. You're, you're putting the pressure on now. <laughs> about good, it. <laughs> good. I'm your accountability partner today. Um, so, no, I, you'll do great. I, every lecture I've seen of Shu's has just been absolutely brilliant. She has a scientific mind that she combines with this philosophical, you know, Zen wisdom, I think, that is just a really, it's a really winning combination, Shu. So just keep doing what you're doing, and I think we're all going to benefit from it here. So thank you, Spencer. And speaking of community, uh, I would love for you to join me at Guided Group Study uh, Winter 2023, friends. Uh, sign up is open right now. Registration, you can find that in the description of this video. We're going to be doing things with Demetra George's Ancient Astrology and Theory and Practice. Um, we'll have a Discord group that we can all get together and chat. It was a lot of fun last semester. I would love to see you all there. And um, yeah, just reach out if any of you need any help with readings and whatnot. And I think that is what I've got for you all today. This was a lovely pleasure. Thank you all. Remember, 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 uh, it's easier to get through these challenging times when you practice a little bit of kindness uh, with others in your community, but especially with yourself. I think that kindness begins within. Uh, be kind to yourself and it'll be much easier for you to spread that, that wisdom and that, that good feeling out into the world. All right, friends, take care. We'll see you the next time. Bye.